0: Welcome to the podcast series about our textbook, Indigenous Education in Australia Learning and Teaching for Deadly Futures, published by Routledge. This podcast series is hosted by Marnie Shea and Rhonda Oliver. We are the editors of this book, which is a collection of chapters authored by Aboriginal and non Aboriginal educators and researchers on a variety of topics on Indigenous education. Today, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land this podcast is recorded. The Wajak Noongar people and the lands of the people where listeners are tuning in from today. In this podcast series, we explore the chapters with authors, providing listeners and readers of the text the opportunity to hear the authors yarn about their chapters and provide further insights about some of the, uh, some of the things they talk about and suggest practice implications on their topic. Today, I'm yarning with Cheryl Kickett Tucker, who authored the chapter Cultural Learning Foundations for Aboriginal Students' Wellbeing. Welcome, Cheryl, and thank you for sharing your time and knowledge with us for this podcast series. Can you please introduce yourself to your audience, who you are, who's your mob, and where you're from?
1: Well, first of all, Kaya Wanju Wanju Nijak Wajak Nunga Puja. Thank you for being here today and giving me this opportunity to share, I guess, my piece of knowledge um, on. My chapter. So, I am a Wajak Noongar traditional owner of the mighty northeast of Perth metropolitan area. Um, I'm uh, from a family of eight. I'm in the middle of that family of eight. I have three children of my own, and I've married an Wali and Wangatha man from the northeast goldfields. So, our children have five Aboriginal identities <laughs> rolled up into one. Um, I am a researcher currently at Curtin University. Um, I have a ARC Discovery Indigenous Award. And the chapter that I wrote was, guess, I guess, the pre-reading for the development of my research and also the research that I've done over the years and years. Thanks, Cheryl. Can you please share with the audience your background in Indigenous education? Well, first of all, I must let people know that I am not a a primary or high school educator in any kind of capacity. Um, I am purely and have been a researcher working in uh, the industry um, of I guess you would call me a Heinz 57 researcher where I've worked in health, education, community development, sport, recreation. So it's across the board and I have a very holistic lens and Working with our people and well-being and identity and self-esteem have always been the priority areas for the work that I do. Um, I, I still am an educator, but in my own way, I'm not in a classroom. I have um, community programs around me and, and, and research where I'm. I'm an educator outside, you know, the four walls. I guess um, I'm a teacher of my own children. I'm a teacher of uh, the the kids that I teach basketball to after school hours. Um, And I've been a tertiary education educator at a former university. Thanks, Cheryl. Um, I wouldn't underestimate the
0: impact you've had in terms of teaching, especially your mob around the area that we're meeting today. Mm -hmm. In your chapter, you explored cultural learning, foundations for Aboriginal students' wellbeing. Can you share some of the main messages um, that you wanted the readers to get from this chapter?
1: Okay, the first thing I guess was um, the lens in which teachers pick up the content from the curriculum regarding Aboriginal, um, the Aboriginal curriculum, in terms of particularly in terms of the Hass kind of um, space. So, you know, we do know there is a resurgence and a renaissance that was started, you know, maybe seven, eight, maybe ten years ago in Aboriginal um, cultural material being presented in a school environment, Um, and so... The cultural learnings project for me, a chapter for me has been around, well, look, whose lens and which are you, which are you teaching? You know, so, and when I say that, I mean, like, what, what worldview are you teaching that and where are you grasping that information from? So you need to have a look at, if you're a non Aboriginal teacher, you probably need to have a look at, you know, what sort of biases and what sort of challenges that you have, but also what are your strengths? So, because everyone does, do have strengths. So, and where are the gaps? You know, obviously there will be gaps because no one's perfect. So, and with those gaps in terms of um, looking at content to teach, we know there's a gap in particularly urban-based Aboriginal lives and livelihoods. So the more material we have in that space, the better. So this project's really about exploring your own lens, what you bring into developing and also selecting material to teach your children. For instance, um... It's year 2020 and my kids are still coming home with uh, really dodgy learning material um, like questions like when did your family first arrive in Australia and writing about uh, in Western Australia a localised event where, you know, there were massacres and writing about massacres but the document that was given to my daughter had Captain Cook on it and talked about a battle well, there were no battles in those days. You know, the, the Colonius had guns and they shot people. There was no chance for any battle. So there was those sorts of things. So you need to question that material. It ain't perfect, but there's obviously other material that you can get. But It really takes a really dedicated teacher to search that material and also to work alongside Aboriginal people in their classrooms to get the messaging right so you've got a balanced view. When you get a balanced view, you get a balanced child, surely.
0: Absolutely. Mm.
1: Thanks Cheryl. Um, are there
0: additional practices you could recommend in, in, in terms of um, cultural learning?
1: Oh I do. Look I'm not sure what it's like on the east coast or in other parts of Australia so this is really localised here but I do see particularly in primary schools the lack of Aboriginal engagement in not only decision making and leadership at these schools but Walking alongside teachers in presenting some of the material that they're that they're you know showcasing or um, doing on a, on a weekly basis when it comes to Aboriginal education. The the worst part is it, Aboriginal people are celebrated like once or twice a year, and that's about it. You know the whole school gears up between NAIDOC Reconciliation Week and maybe Sorry Day, but there's nothing else that's um, celebrated um, regularly and taught. Um, in a space that that's working closely alongside the Aboriginal community in that in that school, you know they might come to those events, and then that's about it. It's a real passive kind of participation. Um, not all schools will be like this. There are schools who are really engaged in their Aboriginal community, and that's usually because the leadership of the school are very pro-Aboriginal. When they're pro-Aboriginal, they will reach out and they will accept the support and assistance of the community to come and work alongside their teaching professionals.
0: Absolutely, and then that's actually in some of our other chapters is about developing those relationships mm-hmm. and the impact it has on, on the pedagogy that are used. Now, Cheryl, you and I have talked personally about our hopes for the future. Perhaps you could share with the audience your reimagining of a better future for ed- Indigenous education
1: and what your vision is for excellence in this area. I think I'd like to start off with the excellence idea, and I would love for us as educators policymakers and practitioners and the leadership teams at schools and education departments to actually refocus their lenses to see children as gifted children who are strength based that yes okay they may come from really challenging backgrounds but my by golly if you if you shine them up a little bit they're like diamonds in the rough you know but it takes a really kind hearted generous well you know well sort of developed person who's got the time, and the energy and the good heart to reach out to make those connections with those children um in terms of the giftedness, I also would like the schools um to not see our kids as remedial and pigeonhole them and label them so quickly in their life because the damage that it does to them at so early in their life. Like yesterday, I was speaking to a young boy. He said, I've got ADHD and I can't do anything. And I said, well, actually you can. You know, you aren't defined by your ADHD. You are you. You're an amazing child. You've got so much to give. You could be the next prime minister of this country. I mean, his eyes lit up. We as educators are beacons for people. We have to light a pathway, but we've got to help our families and our kids and even our staff to reimagine the horizon at the end. We don't stipulate what that horizon is. We help light the pathway so our families and kids can see that horizon themselves and grow and learn and educate, but always with a good heart. Because our people will always read your body language ahead of what you say. And if you don't do what you say and you say something and you don't do it, then there's no relationship. And in our world, everything's relational. So in terms of the vision for the future... I would like our kids to be seen as equal. Um, they're, f- they're full of strengths. There are challenges like any other child, but it takes it takes a community to hold a child, and that community in this case is the school, so everyone has to come together. And that's it. Thank you very much for your time today, Cheryl. Thank you.